Well, he is taking over the sports media game, and let that be no surprise because he did just that kind of work on the football field as a tight end for UCLA in the 90s. Charles R. Buckle, you can find him on Twitter, CBuck81TV. I'm Brian Fenley. I'm on Twitter, at Brian Fenley. Charles, thanks for making the time. Hey, man, it's good to be here. Always good to talk a little UCLA ball. Any excuse to do so, you can find Charles on SiriusXM, Sports USA, NBC Sports, ADSN. There are so many different platforms. We're just lucky to have a few minutes of his time. As busy as this guy is, you remember him. He was on the Colts and is a coach football-wise for so many years. And Charles, you being the tight end, I wanted to start off the show here by asking you about the emergence of Devin Asiasi, a guy yeah. who was late blooming and the Patriots – rose up in the draft to get him. Why do you think they did that? Well, I mean, if you talk to those guys there at uh, UCLA, they really were impressed with what he could do from a receiving standpoint. <laughs> Excuse me. And it looked like Chip and that offense really started to divert to the, the weapons that they had. They weren't as – I don't think the outside guys were as good or they had injuries, and so they had a lot of good tight ends. And Asiasi was one of those guys. I talked to Maurice Jones-Drew before the season, and or actually during the season, we were covering a couple of games and ran into each other, and he was real high on them. And I said, hey, I like what I saw when I went out there for fall camp. My concern with UCLA last year even was the offense and defensive line, and I don't know if they've been able to rectify that because they just weren't big in the trenches. And I think even talking to the coaches, that was a concern for them. That's the first thing I look for. But I like the tight end group. And he showed in, in certain games, and when they used him properly, he was able to make plays. And I think that's the part that the Patriots always look at. If you lose a Gronkowski, who's going to be the next guy? Um, you know, I can remember playing against the Patriots back in the day, and they had Ben Coates and Marv Cook. So, you know, Bill Belichick has just kind of taken that even to the next step as a coach. And even before he got there, the Patriots have always had a, a real strong tradition of guys that could play the, the tight end tight end position UCLA has as well they've had you obviously Mercedes Lewis Caleb Wilson these are just a couple of the, of the big names obviously Devin Asiasi who have come through and, and made a dent in the NFL and speaking of trying to make a dent in the league also Joshua Kelly what an incredible story he has been Charles from a man who was under recruited playing at the FCS level at UC Davis, and, and not a more optimistic guy, as you know, that you will meet. He, it doesn't matter if you're a Bruin fan or not. You are going to root for this guy. His story is fantastic from walk-on to scholarship to NFL draft pick. When you look at his skill set and his downhill running, what's going to make him a nice addition for the Chargers? Well, I think the biggest thing with the Chargers, if you look at that offense and now you think about uh, Justin Herbert really taking over, I think that offense is, is designed for a guy like him. He can run the football, but I think what I liked about him is his ability to catch the ball out of the backfield. Uh, you know, I, I've got a podcast I just started called Chopping It Up with Buck, and I had Marshall Falk on the other night, and I'll, I'll have that one out in a few weeks. But that was the one thing we talked about with Christian McCaffrey and all of these backs now the ability that you have to have to catch the football out of the backfield. And I thought that was the one thing that UCLA really used him, and I thought they could have used him even more there. But just to run straight downhill, one cut, get up the field and go, I, I really like how he does that. And that offense is designed where you don't have – now Melvin Gordon is gone. They've got some young guys that can really play. But I think it's a situation where you have a young quarterback 
You're going to need guys like that. They're going to, what I'm finding now in the league, you got a couple of different backs that can do things for you. He's not afraid to run it in between the tackles. And I think the Chargers have a really good person in him. You know, they've got a guy that is, you know, been in the LA area. And I think when, you know, the Chargers are trying to get uh, notoriety against the Rams, they have to have somebody like that. And I think he, he's a good fit for them. He would easily, Charles, and Charles Arbuckle joins us, follow him on Twitter at CBuck81TV. He seems to be a guy, Charles, that, you know, obviously everybody can root for, and he seems very coachable as well. And I remember talking to him going into his senior year. He had said just what you said in that what's the biggest thing he needs to do his senior year is be able to catch the ball more and be able to utilize that aspect of his game. And like you said, I think the Chargers – would be best suited to utilize that as well. And then a guy like Darnay Holmes, who also gets drafted, and he had another year left of eligibility. I was a five-star guy coming out of high school. Where do you think he fits as far as his location in the draft and how he could make an instant impact as well? Well, I think whenever you go a little bit later in the draft, you always have to play special teams. And I think that's the part you know, I was a fifth round pick. So knew, I knew right away, if I'm going to make a team, I've got to do it on special teams. And that that's the biggest thing that you have to be. You got to be one of those guys that if you're not going to play offense or defense, special teams has to be your mark. If you're, uh, you know, fourth or fifth on the depth chart, the only way you're going to move up is showing that you can be a guy that they can put in anytime, anywhere. And the teams are where you usually make it. Um, but, but, you know, you, you want to play, I think everybody comes in saying, I want to start sure. at my position. And so you don't give up on that dream. But I think the biggest thing is, uh, finding a way to do anything that the team asks you to do so you can be in a position and find a way on the, on the team. And that's, that's a real critical key. Even with Joshua Kelly, uh, Asi Asi, I, I think those guys all are going to have to do some teams early on, uh, in your career. And if you can do that. Or if you get in a situation where guys go down and you're able to start right away, uh, you, you know, but a big body guy or guys that are athletic, they usually want to put on, on special teams and you've got to find a way to get on the, on the field that way. So much more to quench your UCLA football appetite with Bruin legend Charles Arbuckle right after this. But first, how about a piece of food? That will satisfy your appetite in that realm. And I don't know about you, but we're all still kind of quarantined in these places where we're staying. And food is always on my mind. I can't get over the fact that I'm always hungry. And one way to satisfy that is by going to BuiltBar.com. It's a great place because they have got really good tasting protein bars you know the key here is a bar that provides a lot of nutrients but at the same time is scrumptious you don't find either of those together one bar might taste well but there's not a whole lot of good stuff in it and then there's a bar that's really good for you and it's hard to ingest because it's not really that Good on the taste buds, but Built Bar is totally different. Go to BuiltBar.com. Use promo code LOCKEDON. You'll get $10 off your first order. Use promo code LOCKEDON for $10 off at BuiltBar.com. Let's resume our conversation with Charles Arbuckle. The current UCLA state of affairs with the football team, and I've heard you talk a lot about Dorian Thompson-Robinson and his strides, if you look from his first two years, where does he need to make the biggest improvement, the biggest leap heading into now his junior season? 
You know, I, I, it's interesting. I know Dana Bible pretty well. I got to know him when he was at North Carolina State. So I've, I've watched him develop quarterbacks, Russell Wilson, Mike Lennon. Uh, you know, Matt Ryan was in his full when he was at Boston College. So that's how far back I go with Dana Bible. And I think with Darnay, uh, I mean, excuse me, uh, DTR, the one thing that he told me right away was he said he's raw. You know, he says he's got all the ability in the world. He said he has never even done a quarterback sneak the year when he was first starting. Yeah. I was blown away by that. You know, so the progression for me now is how do you keep slowing the game down? How do you keep getting the ball to your weapons? And I could see that progression last year. There were times where he would try to do everything himself and it, it, it didn't work for him. But whenever he took his time uh, and just really – uh, distributed the ball when he needed to. If he needed to make a run, he would get down and, and stay out of harm's way. I think this year can be a year for him where he can really take this team over. And look at a guy, for me, I always look at him. He reminds me a lot of Jalen Hurts. Jalen Hurts oh. may be lower in the lower body. Okay. But Jalen Hurts got much better as a quarterback and a passer because when he got to Lincoln Riley, that's what they wanted him to do. And I think, you know, I'm not saying he's going to be Jalen Hurts, but I've seen a lot of ability. His arm is live. There's some things that he can do. But I think this is the year where you take that next step, where you make those guys around you better. And I think that's what everybody has kind of been waiting for. Now, in his defense, I think the offensive line has to be better. And I think, you know, when you lose a guy like Joshua Kelly, who comes in and helps, there's some guys on that team that are explosive. I just want to make sure that you protect him. And if you don't, he can then – uh, take off and run and get down when he needs to. And with that pressure that he's faced from D-line guys and, and whatnot, that's created a lot of turnovers for mm -hmm. for DTR. And, and like you said, you're looking at what he needs to improve on. It's limiting those. Yeah. And that has a lot to do with the offensive line as well. I don't think that it's all on DTR, but the offensive yeah. line. And you And you said, Charles, like, that's a place where they need a lot of help. You had Chris Murray transfer. And then last year you had a couple of young guys. You had some freshmen mm -hmm. on the offensive line. And so when you are UCLA and the brand that you're trying to present to yourself and you're in the recruiting game, what's stopping UCLA from going out there and getting these four- and five-star offensive linemen who can play right away or be ready to contribute? I think the same thing that's happened out on the West Coast, if you look at even USC, USC hasn't recruited as well, if you think about it. If I look at the draft and I see on those California schools, I think it was only 14 people drafted, and this was Power 5 and Group of 5 versus 14 at LSU. That's a disparity. Some of the really talented kids that you used to get in the state of California seem to be going to other places. Maybe they're at Washington. Maybe they're at Utah. Maybe they're going to other places even outside of there. I think the biggest thing for UCLA is the brand that we had when we were there. They were recruiting from all over the country. I'm from Texas. You got, you know, and when, when we're playing well, UCLA, I'm going to say we, it tends to be that we get some of the top-notch California kids. They go all across the country because it's a brand and it's recognizable from an academic standpoint. I, I think now, too, you don't always have to get four- and five-star guys. But if you get three-star guys like Wisconsin, how do you develop them? And I think that's going to be the real critical key. If I look at this, I don't always just see if a guy has a lot of stars. I just want to know if his upside and his potential is one that when he gets on your campus, like a Joshua Kelly who went the route of UC Davis and then he ends up there, if you can develop and you get there and you play, that to me defines your stars. So, you know, I think the star game has, has made some of these coaches 
you know, the offers are outrageous that they have to do. But who do you really want and who wants you and who's going to come in and have some dog in them? Because I think that's the biggest key. I don't care how many stars you have. I was a highly recruited guy, but I wasn't going to get on the field because James Washington didn't care how many stars I had or, uh, you know, Eric Turner, who was a highly recruited guy out of, you know, Ventura, California. We went at it every single day in practice. So I think the biggest key is how do you compete? How do you get those guys on Spalding on that field now? It's not even Spalding field, but whatever they call it now, how do you get them fighting every single yeah. day? So when they get in the game, it slows down. UCLA tight end and Indiana or Indianapolis, excuse me, Colts star and Charles Arbuckle joins us. Follow him on Twitter, CBuck81TV. I'm on Twitter at Brian Fenley. And yeah, we, we, we talked about the recruiting game. And, and what about today's recruit, Charles, where – what do you have to do as a coach to to lure in these recruits? I mean, you, you kind of have to feed the ego a little bit. You've got to get to know the family. You've yeah. got to travel out there. You've got to be up to date on what they're doing on social media. What is it like as a coach trying to persuade these kids to go to your school with all of these distractions and all the outside noise out there? You know, man, that's tough. I mean, I talked to – the coaches at the college level on a consistent basis. I know so many of them. I've coached in the, uh, you know, AAF when it was existing. The biggest thing I think you have now is that you've got a lot of young men that uh, think they're better than what they are. And I think sometimes you've got to feel like I've got to go in and prove something. And I just think about a guy like Demetric Felton who – you know, you talk about an explosive player. I don't know if many people knew who he was, but he every time he got on the field, he flashed. So I'm looking for guys that will come in and think, you know, I, I, I'm highly recruited, but I haven't done anything at this level. And I don't know if you always get that because if you look at social media, you know, how many offers have I gotten? How many, uh, you know, how much attention am I getting as opposed to what, what am I really when I step on the field? What My brand should be how I play football. I mean, we're watching the last dance with Michael Jordan, whether you love him or hate him. His, his, his mentality when he competed made him what he was. And he talked about it. If I didn't play as well as I did, I would not have this opportunity. And I think if you look at UCLA, that's to me, you know, I, I looked at Arizona State a few years ago thinking they were a sleeping giant. I think UCLA is in that same position because of all the talent. Now, the other, the, all the talent around that area, just like if you're, you know, in California, you can get those guys. And if they, could, if they have the grades, why not get them there? But I think also when you get them there, how do you keep them motivated? Because there have been a lot of kids that have come in highly, highly recruited, highly rated, but just didn't pan out. Yeah. And I think that's the one thing you can't miss in, in these recruiting wars anymore, to your point, and I think that's going to be the real key with UCLA. How do they get these guys? How do they develop them? How do they get, get them to that next level? Coming up next, I will get Charles's take on coaching in the AAF. You remember that spring football league that folded before the first season finished, now defunct. How he took that experience and can use it positively moving forward. And look, the first two years of Chip Kelly's reign, Look, we all wish it would have gone better, but what would you deem successful for him realistically here in year three? Well, I mean, if you think about last year, four and eight isn't good enough. But what I was, what I go back and look at, I say, okay, if I'm going to take the positive out of it, at least from the standpoint of, you know, what you were in the conference, tied for third in the, in the South, I think there's some, some good 
you know, opportunities there. The problem is that you have is you got a Utah team that I don't think is going to back off. I think USC is going to be good again. I think Arizona State should be good. So you're going to have to be competitive in your own area. And it seems like the Stanford hump, you may be able to get over that. Washington, what are they going to be now that they've lost Eason? So I think if you think about UCLA, for me, if you can, you know, find a way to get seven wins, get to a bowl game, start getting some positivity going, uh, that to me is what's going to help. And be competitive in games. I think that, that was the part that was disappointing at times when you would look and say, why weren't you competitive in this game? But then teams that you thought they were <laughs> yeah. going to lose badly, they ended up playing tight. Uh, so I think that's been the biggest thing for me is how can we be competitive as a, as a unit every single week? What's also nice, Charles, is you look at the non-conference schedule for UCLA this year, and it's a little <laughs> bit more friendly that's compared true. to last year. So like yeah. you said, I think that you, you are totally right on. Seven wins right there is feasible because of the non-conference schedule that is a little bit more in our favor now I got two more questions for you Charles second to last one here is you talked about how West Coast football and the recruiting game and how you know honestly it's not on the stage of like the SEC Mm -hmm. and and in the caliber of conferences in other parts of this country how does the Pac-12 gain in importance and escalate to being I don't know if it'll ever be on the level of the SEC but competing for that national prominence well i mean you bring up a good point think about all the the kids that have left the pac-12 footprint that have gone to sec or acc schools like clemson uh and gotten out of out of the conference even gone over to some of the schools in texas but i think you know the southeast conference they will go anywhere and find that talent so for me, I think it's a, a little bit about the conference needing to, you know, the, the problem that they've had for a long time is not the visibility of the conference with the, the television contract. Even though the Pac-12 network owns itself, that hasn't been a good thing because it hadn't given them the exposure or the schools, the funds that you need to compete. I think the other piece to that is uh, guys have to feel like you're, you're competitive. And I think, uh, you know, for a while, it had been Washington and it had been Stanford. Those two teams have been down. So in the, conf- in the conference where every single week a team can win, you've got to have at least two or three that are, you know, uh, stand out. Yeah. And that helps recruiting. That helps visibility. That helps you be competitive. That helps you play for college, uh, the national fo- you know, college football playoff championship. It's a lot of different factors that go into it. Uh, so I don't know if you can set your sights on the SEC, Maybe you start off with the with the Big Twelve, yeah. uh, you know, and, and maybe it's also the Big Ten uh, teams that you you kind of are similar to, and and then start from there because it, it, that's been the biggest issue. Some of the better players in that footprint have left and gone on and had very good success in other places. And if you can't keep them at home, that that's that's a problem, especially skilled players. Speaking of skilled players, I'm fascinated to see how Theo Howard who oh, did yeah. go from, you know, UCLA to Oklahoma. I, I can't wait to see what this guy does. And, and, Charles, my final question for you is, you've always had coaching as so important to the core of who you are as a coach and giving back and all of that. And you touched upon this a little bit earlier in that you were part of an upstart league with the Arizona yeah. Hotshots as the tight ends coach. From that experience, what have you learned about maybe the do's and don'ts of trying to start a league and how you can use those experiences to further your coaching you know, career and, and help others with? Yeah, I mean, you know, for me, I'm, I'm good with 
what, what I was able to do. Uh, it was a great opportunity with Rick Neuheisel, who I've known for a number of years. And he's, you know, every time he's had an opportunity, I've been close to taking a job before. And I finally did. It was a perfect time in my life to, you know, I wouldn't say perfect time, but it was one of those times where I said, okay, here's the opportunity. Will I get this again? I think the problem with the spring league is if, if you don't have a close and, and, and it's not owned in some way, shape or form by the NFL, that's where the problem is. I think point. with the XFL, it was in position to do pretty well until this COVID-19 outbreak and yeah. pandemic. And that kind of put everything behind because there's so many of the guys that played in our league that are now in that league that are playing well and now going to get opportunities or we're going to get opportunities. So you have to have an affiliation with the league and the league has to really be vested in it because if not, it's only going to be a one or two or three year situation and they're gone. I, but I, I hate it because yeah. there were so many good kids that, that you knew needed the opportunity to yeah. play pair and, and, you know, weren't quite ready. But if they had uh, live football for 10 weeks or eight weeks or however many weeks they could play, it was going to set them up for success. And Charles, you hit on it. There is a demand. There's so many kids that benefit from this who will get a chance with that exhibition, not able to showcase their skills at the NFL level. They will get opportunities there. It's just how the NFL will be okay with, I don't know, allowing that to be part of their brand. And, you know, that's a whole other discussion. Yeah. Hopefully, Well, you know, the NFL is it's interesting. They're trying to get to Europe. Uh, you know, they had NFL Europe before, which sure. was pretty successful. So, you know, you got to think at some point, just like the NBA has gone with the G League, if they decide to do it, how would they do it and how would they make it economical? The problem with football is when you got have guys that play 10 weeks, then have to go into a training camp, get ready for another season. That's a lot of football. Yeah. Basketball and baseball are a little bit different. And I think that's that's the, the, the tough part in our league. We weren't. We thought we had a good affiliation, but we didn't have the money. Uh, the XFL had the money, but then you have this, you know, major outbreak. So, it, and the USFL, that's a whole nother story, but it's, it's an interesting one that, you know, there's been books written about that. But I think the biggest thing is the NFL has to have a, a, a skin in the game, so to speak, in order for it to work. And I think you are right, and I hope that one day we see that come to fruition. Charles Arbuckle, former UCLA tight end. You can find him all over sports media, Sirius XM, NBC Sports. The list goes on. He is taking over the sports media game. Find him on Twitter at CBuck81TV. He was also a tight end on the Colts. I'm Brian Fenley. I'm on Twitter at Brian Fenley. Charles, thanks for doing this, man. I had a lot of fun getting to know you here and, and talking some ball. Hey, man, it was good always. Anytime. Let's do it again.